0: Welcome to Money Talk with Tiff, a podcast where we discuss everything money from tips and tricks to current events. Follow me on my journey to become debt free and meet other cool people along the way. I am your host, Tiffany Grant. Now let's talk money. Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Money Talk with Tiff podcast. So, today I have one of my faves in real life, um, Dr. Shanika McIver. She is a leader, an innovative and intellectual thinker, a dreamer, and a doer, as well as a believer of the power of positivity and leading from within. I wanted Shanika on because she is an expert let me repeat, experts (laughs) and nonprofits. And so we've never talked about nonprofits on the podcast before. Her current position, um, she currently works as the Director of Foundation Relations in the Division of University Advancement at the University of North Carolina at Greensboro. Let's go Spartans. Um, Spartans serve. (laughs) Okay. Um, (laughs) Thank you, Shanika. And thank you so much for coming on i no problem,
1: Tiff. I'm so excited to be here and to speak with you and just share some knowledge and some gems. Absolutely. So I get a lot of people
0: asking about nonprofits in general. Okay. okay. Everything from where do I find money? How do I apply for these things? What about my marketing? Just all types of stuff in the world of, of nonprofits. Now, Full disclosure um, and full transparency. I am not an expert in nonprofits <laughs> for the record. So, <laughs> this is why I wanted to bring you on so that way you can speak to this because um, this is definitely in your realm and your strength. So, to get us started um, with nonprofits, I know a big struggle is money. right? A big struggles money. All nonprofits are trying to find those grants, trying to get those grants um, written and submitted and, you know, so on and so forth. So let's start there. When I have a nonprofit, okay, what is it that I need before I even start looking for grants?
1: Okay. So I think, you know, the first step in the process, of course, having the 501c designation, which is the nonprofit tax and status from the IRS. So in order to be eligible for any type of grant funding, you have to have that designation. So first step is making sure that you actually have the proper 501c3 status. And then if you have that, I think it's really about, you know, understanding what your program and services are, because that's going to be at the bulk of what you're going to be putting out there for grant proposals. So looking at this from a perspective of one, you've got to kind of understand the competitive market. So who's doing what in your community, because that's going to help you kind of set yourself aside and really present yourself with that unique competitive advantage. So you want to know what everyone else is doing so that you can make your services and your programs um, look different, right? So I think you've got to have critical and core servicing programs. So what is it that you do? Who are you serving? Who's your target audience? And what behavior change is occurring as a result of them receiving your products or services, right? So- mm-hmm. It's all about the impact piece. And so I always encourage nonprofit organizations to think about funding from an outcome-based perspective. So what outcome is achieved as a result of you getting a grant or grant funding? And you have to be able to have strong and results-oriented programs and services for you to articulate and evaluate that and measure that when you apply for a grant.
0: Oh, I'm so glad you hit on all of that. <laughs> because um, I feel like that's one thing that kind of gets glazed over is mm-hmm. what's the impact? I know I serve on boards where we give out grant money. And that's the main question we're trying to ask. How many people are you impacting? What is the impact on those people? And are you going to take our dollars and make them stretch as far as far as possible? You know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so the Impact piece when you're creating a nonprofit, make sure you have that part in mind as well. Like a lot of people are like, Oh, I should make a nonprofit for this. Okay, but what does that look like in (laughs) real life? You know? Um, And we actually had the pleasure of collabing a couple of times now with the Future Fund. So for people that are not um, familiar with what Future Fund is, um, it is an organization where um, local young young leaders, they're pretty much pooling their money together to give to nonprofit organizations. Correct me if I'm wrong, because I know you're on the, okay, cool. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So um, with this, you know, they hire coaches, you know, people volunteer. So I was a coach and with this program, they are pretty much trying to get the nonprofit to say, what their impact is and how does that, you know, affect other people and you helping them get the pitch down and then it, culminates into a whole event where they're doing the live pitches, right? So Uh if you don't have that in your community, please, please start it because it is an awesome experience. Um, It's great. You know, the nonprofits win, the coaches win, the organization wins, you know, it's just a good overall program and strategy. Now, I bring Future Fund up because they iterate telling stories and making sure that your impact is clear. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) That is like the gist of the whole program is to make sure that your impact is clear. And so- If you do not have the understanding or things like that, feel free to reach out for help. Like that's what people like Shanika and organizations like Future Fund and things like that are for, is to help you kind of narrow
1: that down. That is correct.
0: So um, another thing that people, you know, come to me about quite often is, okay, so I have my impact piece down. I know what I'm doing, who I'm impacting, how it's going to help the community, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. So now we've gotten past that step. What's the next step that they need to, you know, kind of think about um, before
1: they start applying for
0: these grants?
1: Okay. So I'm going to just kind of take it more so kind of in a professional space. So Mm -hmm. in higher ed fundraising or major gift fundraising, which is where you're really asking for money at a higher level, usually $25,000 is kind of the minimum threshold, they kind of operate from a process called the donor cycle. And one of the things that I'm really trying to do more is, you know, educate small businesses and small grassroots nonprofits on kind of like the donor cycle. And I'm doing this through the philanthropy playlist, which we can talk about that a little bit mm-hmm. later on. But what it is, is, you know, this playlist where I did a 30 day thread on LinkedIn and Twitter, where I took hip hop and r b music to kind of really break down and talk about what philanthropy means. So I'm referencing the donor engagement cycle because the first step in that process is called prospect research and so I would say before you go out and say I'm going to apply for grant after you kind of figured out what your impact looks like you need to do your prospect research right and so what that means is you're looking at prospective donors funders foundations and that can be individuals um, foundations businesses governments whoever but you want to kind of get the research in where you figure out kind of what they're able to do right so it may be if you're looking at a foundation you're kind of looking at grant guidelines and seeing, you know, what are their funding priorities? What program areas do they serve? What is the kind of dollar amount limit on the grants that they're giving? You may even look at their annual report and kind of see what their grant making looked like in the past few years to kind of give you an idea of what to put your ask in at, right? And so from an individual perspective, this may be, you know, identifying, you know, within your network or your community network, you know, people that have the financial capacity to support your organization. Of course, you know, small gifts are great and small gifts add up. But imagine if you can, you know, tap into someone within your community that has a affirmation and is passionate about the work that you're doing and you can kind of tell your story and pull their heartstrings to kind of where they come in, you would be surprised at how many times, you know, people open their checkbook and write a check based off what it is that they're passionate about. But on the front end of that, you got to do the research to kind of get an idea of the scope of what's out there and what's available. Because if you don't do that research, you're probably just going to be overwhelmed and stressed mm-hmm. out. So I think, you know, the first step in that process is, you know, doing the prospect research. And I mean, this can be as simple as doing a Google search. One of the things that I enjoy, I, I go and I um, look at a list search called Philanthropy News Digest and they send out RFPs every two or three weeks. Um, another way you can kind of approach this prospect research is, you know, just like you were talking about Future Fund, you know, within a lot of states, they have, you know, these grant making organizations that all the foundations are a member of, right? So in North Carolina it's the North Carolina Network of Grant Makers. So this is kind of a reverse search tool, but, you know, go to the North Carolina Network of Grant Makers website and see what funders are members, right? Because that's going to give you an idea of the funders in your state. And then, you know, from there, you can go to the individual sites and see kind of what It is that they fund so that you have an idea if you're a good fit or not. But I think, you know, just kind of having an idea of what the landscape looks like from a funding perspective sets you up to be a lot more successful than just kind of, you know, willy nilly in it when you get out there. (laughs) Exactly,
0: exactly. And then speaking of donors, like I know one thing, like when we're kind of evaluating who to give grants to, we're looking at, okay, if we give you this money, um, is this your only source of money? Like if if we can't give you the entire amount, can the program still happen? Um, or if we do give you the full amount, will it stop once the money runs out, you know? Yes. And so we base decisions on that as well. And so going back to the donor thing, I feel like, and co- please let me know if I'm wrong. Cause like I said, I'm not an expert. Preface this with saying that, but yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> But I feel like if you have set donors, so like, let's say they're individuals, they're trusts, you know, people that are really interested in your cause, you have that base of donors before you go for the project-based grants. Okay.
1: Does, does that make sense? It does make sense. And I, my caution there would be is you don't want to put all your eggs in one basket, right? Right. So, of course, you have those people that are going to support you, but think about it like this if you're going to the same five people every time you have an event, or you mm-hmm. need a donation, or you need, you know, resources eventually they might get kind of burnt out on you because you always got your hand out. Mm -hmm. So so I I just say that to say that it's really important to diversify your funding streams if you're a nonprofit organization. And I have to say this just because of my expertise and my experience in the field. Mm -hmm. Grant funding should never be the end goal for sustaining your organization. So your organizational budget should not be comprised of 100% grants, because like you said before, that's not really sustainable. And, you know, just kind of talking a little bit kind of about the grant making space right now, it's very competitive. It's very competitive. Mm -hmm. Not only is it competitive, you know, a lot of funders have really niched down to what it is that they're supporting, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, you got to make sure that it aligns in that fit. And then the other piece is like, just because it is so competitive, a lot of funders are doing like one-time grants, like the likelihood of you getting a multi-year funding opportunity from a philanthropic foundation is slim to none. So you want to make sure that, you know, that you're able to sustain your organization. And there's a few ways that you can do that, right? So I, you know, I think a lot of people have the misconception that a not that a nonprofit organization is not supposed to make money, mm-hmm. and in a way that is true, it's not. It's a not-for-profit, so of course your your main purpose is not generating income. If you were like if you were in a for-profit business, but you still need to be able to sustain yourself, right? Because you have to pay salaries, you have to pay for programs, you have to pay for you know operating expenses, whatever. You have to be able to pay for that. So one thing that I always encourage nonprofits to think about is what services or programs do you offer that you could potentially monetize, right? Mm-hmm. And then that way that brings in, you know, additional funding for you that can be so used to support without you having necessarily to rely on donations or grant funding. So I'm going to give you an example of a model in Durham, right? So there's mm-hmm. this organization called Trocha, which is a substance abuse nonprofit. And so what Trocha does is they do, you know, substance abuse Um, rehabilitation type services, but they have a whole separate business model where they have a moving company, they have like an on-site store, and these different services generate revenue that comes back into the nonprofit organization that allows them to, you know, support the work that they're doing, and they're also able to give their employee their Um, residents' jobs and things of that nature Mm. to help them, you know, stay clean and, you know, rehabilitate back into society. So just think about, you know, ways that, you know, you could offer, you know, additional services. So for example, you know, if you're a nonprofit that does, you know, after school programming or something of that nature, you might do a workshop on parental engagement. Mm. And that's, you know, a very simple way that you can bring in additional funds of income that are not really costing you a lot, but you're still able to support the mission and vision of your organization. And then, you know, just kind of thinking about, you know, from a board composition perspective is you also may have board members that have different skill sets where they can help you, you know, kind of create or flush something out that people can benefit from and that you may be able to charge a nominal fee. But it's all about, you know, just having a diversified funding stream so that you're not dependent on either one donor, one grant one funder and then you kind of end up up the creek without a paddle when that mm-hmm. funding dries up or runs out so it's just always kind of having a rainy day fund and thinking about different ways that you can be resourceful and bring in um, resources to your organization
0: oh my gosh that is so awesome because <laughs> that was actually going to be my next question okay if we don't do grants what else can we do <laughs> okay um and you know I know a local nonprofit here in greensboro um, NCCj yes. they they actually do, you know, corporate, uh, speaking and courses Mm -hmm. and things like that around their mission and outreach and awareness. Right, right. Exactly. Because if you feel like this is an important thing to you and that you made a whole organization about it, you kind of got to let other people know why it's important and let other people know that you are the SME in this area. And so yep. that's one thing that I've learned from them because I was one of those people like, um, oh, nonprofits can make money, like external money. Like know yeah. <laughs> and so I actually learned that from them. And that's one thing that they do in order to keep their organization flowing as well. And they also are very good at, like you were saying, putting on events and doing different things in the community where people come, and they may pay a small fee, but in relation to, you know, how much it really costs, it's a very small fee and they use grant money and things to supplement, you know, supplement yeah. people's costs. And so I highly recommend if you're a nonprofit to definitely go that route. Um, you know, I'm not going to put my mom on, the, I'm going to put my mom on the spot. I hope you're listening, <laughs> mom. Um, <laughs> Because she just started a nonprofit okay. um, not too long ago. I mean, she's had the 501c3 for a while, but she kind of, you know, kind of put it on the back burner and um was just focusing on grants. And so I'm like, hey, mom, <laughs> this is for you. <laughs> make sure that you are doing other things as well. And anybody that's also like my mom, make sure you're doing other things as well to kind of sustain yourself um, versus just focusing on grants. So that, that was a gem. I wish I had something to give you kudos. There we go. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, okay. So now that the nonprofit, you know, they're now we're brainstorming about money, things like that. Um, what are some tips? I'm gonna go back to grants real quick because I think this one is important. What are some tips when applying? So let's say for instance, they have everything down, you know, that we've talked about to this point, they've done their research, they found a grant that they're like, oh my gosh, this organization is perfectly aligned with us. Um, You know, we have a good chance of getting this money. What are some tips when it comes to actually filling out the grant information um,
1: that you can share. Um, Before I go into the tips, I do want to Mm -hmm. circle back to one more thing about funding opportunities and events. Another funding resource for events Mm -hmm. is to think about sponsorships. And, you know, sponsorships are a little bit different from grants because they kind of come out of a corporation's marketing budget. And the great thing about sponsorships is companies love doing these because they allow them to engage in the community. They get to be involved in the community. Mm -hmm. And then they also, you know, get to increase their visibility and support their corporate social responsibility. So mm. sponsorships is also a great, great, great way for you to kind of get additional resources to kind of help, you know, help you fund your events where everything's not dependent upon you. And so you can always do sponsor packets, things of that nature, but you want to kind of line in with a sponsor that their organizational mission is similar to the mission of your nonprofit. And then that way it makes a little bit more sense for them to support you, right? And so, you know, just make sure with a sponsorship that you give yourself enough time to get the information in and that you um, kind of connect with someone at the company to have that warm introduction so that it's not cold and goes in the trash, but sponsorships Mm -hmm. is a really good way. to kind of offset some of the costs. And, you know, one way that you could do that is you may identify a signature sponsor that, you know, you give them first rights, right of refusal each year, but they get different perks for their sponsorship requests. And it may be, you know, their logo or brand placement in your marketing materials, information about them on your website, their employees, volunteering at your events. You see how all of this is Mm -hmm. kind of connected into one another, but I didn't want to leave that on the table because that's also another way that you can kind of get some support and also increase your visibility in your community. And you would just have to kind of look and see what, you know, organization has. A lot of these larger corporations, they have information on their page, where it may be through their community relations group or through their marketing department. But sponsorships is another way that you can um, access funding.
0: Okay, perfect, perfect. And I'm so glad you brought that up because that is another thing that I see (laughs) on the grant making side. Um, (laughs) We definitely do sponsorships for like the big events and stuff that we have, or we might have just some sponsors that are really passionate. Um, Also, I've seen where in order to be on like a committee or something, you have to kind of buy into it
1: so Uh to speak.
0: Um, So that's another outlet (laughs) that nonprofits (laughs) um, can use to get some more funding coming in. So thank you so much for stopping me and going back because that was an excellent point that I completely forgot about.
1: (laughs) No problem. And I also want to touch base on something else you said about Mm -hmm. kind of getting people to buy in. So Another thing that grant funders are going to look at when they and when you apply for a grant is a lot of funders have a question on their grant application that says, hey, does your board give? And so I think board giving is also another really important thing that a lot of smaller nonprofits don't necessarily think about. And so you want to recruit board members that have financial capacity to support your organization because mm-hmm. if they're serving on your board, they should be serving with their time, talent, And their purse. So you want people that's gonna, you know, make some type of annual donation, and also, you know, so that it looks like that not only are you asking other people for money, you can say, "Hey, my board gives at a hundred percent level." So you want to make sure that when you're recruiting board members, that your board members are resourceful and that you're intentional in those people that you put in place, because these people are going to help you push your organizational mission forward, and you want them to be supporting you not only from a programmatic perspective, but from a financial perspective as well.
0: Oh, excellent point. Excellent point, Um, (laughs) because I serve on a few boards here in the community and I remember one in particular, like they had to almost beg the board members to, um, you know, give to the mission. I'm like, it shouldn't be like that. Like if you're serving on a board for a particular cause now granted understand if you might not have it at the time but these were people that had it and so (laughs) I'm like it it doesn't make any sense if you're serving on a board but you don't believe in the mission enough to open up your your pocketbook or yeah or if you don't have the funds going out and trying to find people that do um, to do your part you know what I'm saying Um, yes so when you say make sure you're intentional about setting up your board, that is like one of the first steps that you need for the whole 501c3 process. And you definitely want to make sure that you have people on board that really believe in your mission and can help out, you know, with their connections, with their purse or, you know, wallet, if it's a guy. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, or whatever the case may be, because that's what's going to you know keep your your mission going like you said
1: so thank you um, <laughs> yeah and i think you also have to just set that expectation with them up front and and this is off topic about what we're talking about but you know from a board recruitment perspective you know do an application that they have to fill out and put a question on there. Are you willing to give as part of your service? And if they say no, they'll let you know right there that's not someone that you want on your board because it's an all hands on deck and everyone in type thing. So, you know, just, just again, set the expectation on the front end so that there's not surprises when they get in, get in the organization and on their uh, terms of service. Right, and since we're talking about boards, let's stay here for a minute
0: because okay. <laughs> because I I just thought about another tip when it comes to board members. Um when you were saying make sure that they fill out an application, like I have seen way too many times where people are like, "Oh, this person remotely does what I'm trying to do. Let me just add them to the board or let me ask them and then they just add them to the board and in that you don't really know why that person wants to be on the board, um, what kind of impact they want to have, if they're even willing to make an impact. Um, because some people just say, yeah, you know, sure. <laughs> you know, um, but that's, I feel like that's where the application part is so very important. um, Because you don't want to just put people on the board. Um, You want to make sure that they have some type of buy-in, like they go through a process. So that way they know, oh, I'm chosen, like, you know, I had to go through this application process, maybe even do interviews, Um, I've been on boards where I had to go to a board meeting first (laughs) Uh to see what the process was, to see how it operated, um, for people to start to get to know me that were already on the board. And then they actually had to make a determination if they wanted to add me or not. And I feel like that has its value as well, because, you know, we've all been in situations, whether you're in corporate, work for yourself, uh, nonprofit, it doesn't matter, way where people don't mesh (laughs) and they don't mesh well. And so you want to make sure that the people that you are bringing on, whether it's a new board or an established board, you want to make sure that these people, you know, kind of interact with each other first to see if they
1: are, you know, a good fit. Yeah, it's all about the fit, Tiffany. And Mm -hmm. I think, you know, we're so many new nonprofit organizations. I'm not going to say mess up, but one of the kind of, you know, Missteps that they may take is you know just putting any and everybody on their board. And again, you know, it's all about being intentional, this intentionality behind it. So you don't want your mom on the board just because she's your mom. You want to put somebody on your board that meets a gap in a service need that you have. So, for example, say that I have a nonprofit organization and I need, you know, a finance person, I may need a marketing person, and I may need someone to have experience with like program development and resources, right? Mm-hmm. So why would I ask my sister to serve on the board and she has none of those skill sets? So right. instead, I might call you up and like, hey, Tiff, you know, would you be willing to come serve on my board from a financial perspective? and offer your financial expertise. And it's kind of a win-win because not only are you able to, you know, give back with your time and your talent, but then you're also able to increase your visibility. So I would just encourage, you know, nonprofit organizations or or new nonprofit founders to just be really intentional in recruiting your board members because it has to be a good fit. And you want people at the table that's willing to do the work because starting a nonprofit organization is hard and it's Mm -hmm. hard work and it's just a lot of moving pieces. And you want people that's going to be on the ground running with you, not people that, you know, just want to kind of sit in a position or have a fancy title. So again, just make sure you're getting people there that have the skill set, the expertise that you need and that are going to be willing to show up and make the time the time commitment to do the work that needs to be done in your organization.
0: Exactly. I'm so glad you see <laughs> So glad you said the whole age and place thing, because I've noticed just serving myself that there are people that just want to sit on boards and not really do much of anything. Yeah. And those are not the people that you want on your board. And let's say, for instance, you do have those people because, you know, by accident, <laughs> they ended up being there or, you know what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's a good practice to have term limits. And Girl, so it's the best practice to have. Yes. term limits because you do not want somebody that's going to be dead weight or causing drama or, Mm -hmm. you know, just all those types of things. And they could just sit there and, you know, there's no expiration date to when they can leave. So um, I noticed that a lot of the successful boards that I've been on have term limits. And, you know, usually it's two, three years at the most. Um, Uh I've, I've been on some where I think it's like five years or something like that. But you want to make sure that people don't get complacent. Because I feel mm-hmm. like that's what happens when you have term limits that are too long, or you don't have any at all. People start getting complacent because you have to realize these people most of the time is volunteer, and of course they're not going to be into your baby like you're into your baby.
1: Those are valid points, though, Tiff. And you know, I would say <laughs> you know set your term limits. If it's a new person, maybe you know two years, and then give them the option to roll off or serve on. But I wouldn't have anyone in a term longer than two consecutive terms. So what a lot mm-hmm. of nonprofits do is they may allow you to. Serve two consecutive terms, and then you have to roll off and then come back.
0: Right. Exactly. If they
1: choose to have you back. And then that way you allow people to kind of, you know, engage. But then if it's if you want out the time, then you're able to kind of move on. And then I think, you know, another thing that I've seen in some boards I've served on in the past was where they actually put in, like, say, you know, like not mandatory board board attendance, but say mm. you miss three board meetings, and you know, say if it's a board that meets qu- like quarterly, that's four meetings a year, and you've missed 75% of the meetings. Mm. Then, you know, if you miss meetings, like if you miss so many meetings, then Or, you know, based on how many meetings you have a year, right? Mm -hmm, But, mm -hmm. you know, just put that number in so that they know, like if you miss these meetings, then you're going to be held accountable. And we're probably going to ask you to step down so that we can allow someone to serve that really wants to be there.
0: Yes, and let's just pause on that, hold accountable, Um, because if you put it in paper and they start doing it and you're not calling them out on it, guess what? The paper doesn't matter. And so you have to be able to be comfortable with, um, you know, letting people know what the expectations are. And if they're not meeting those expectations to let them know, hey, you're not meeting the expectations of this board, you know, do you think it's better to step down or do you think, you know, and kind of massage it that way?
1: But um, yeah, you don't want hard feelings, yeah. but, you, but, but I mean, it's like, I can't say, you know, a nonprofit's a business, but it is like a business. Mm-hmm. You have to have order and structure. And when people don't show up, that impacts the rest of the team. So, you know, again, just it's that personal accountability piece, like don't take on too much. Well, thank you so much, Dr. <laughs> Shanika oh, yeah.
0: McIver for coming on the show. This was an awesome conversation. And I know this is one thing that I didn't mention, but Shanika, um, she has her own company consulting firm. It's called the McIver Group Creative Company, and she specializes in entrepreneurial startups startup services, nonprofit management, talent development solutions, et cetera. So with that being said, doctor, (laughs) how can people find you? How can people reach out to you if they were interested in your services?
1: So they can reach out to me a few different ways. Social media is always a great spot. Facebook, my Facebook page is Dr. Shanika McKeever. And I think you have the links if you can drop them in the mm-hmm. transcript when this is over. Um, I'm also on Instagram. Dr. Shanika McKeever is the handle. My Twitter handle is Shanika Inspires. And I'm getting started on TikTok. That's going to be fun. And I'm Dr. period Shanika there. And then, of course, you can go to my website, which is group.com and sign up for our email list um, I'm I'm still working on it, but you know, you can send me an email and let me know. You know what you're interested in, and we can have a conversation um, and go from there. But I'm on social media. I'm constantly dropping gems Mm -hmm. in philanthropy, nonprofit management leadership, um, small businesses, and mindset. So some really good information out there. So I would love, you know, if people follow me or send me your questions. I mean, I'm always putting content out, so I need to know what you guys want to know about. So yeah, uh, and you know, reach out to me, follow me on Facebook, shoot me an email. I'm like one of the most down to earth people ever. And I love talking to people. So anything I can do to help, I'm happy to.
0: Yes, and she is down to earth in real life. Um, and I will make sure that I have all of those links um, and information about Shanika in the show notes. So that way you can just click and go and you don't even have to worry about listening and trying to type at the same time. Um,
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah Chip, I think I might have to come back on and do. We, we should come back and do a whole session on just the grant proposal part. Yeah. because that's a whole different conversation within itself. And so, yeah. you know, I want to address... your your initial question before we go, just kind of of give some people some things to think about before Mm -hmm. they start a proposal. And Mm -hmm. I would say the first question is, does your project have large impact on the target population Mm -hmm. relative to the project calls? So you can't be asking for a million dollars and you're only serving 10 people. That's very (laughs) unrealistic. So just kind of keep in, you know, the ratio to the amount of people served and the dollar amount that you're asking for. You also have to consider, are your grant objectives realistic and high impact? So impact is is rooted in everything that you do in a grant proposal, because that's going to show the behavior change and why they should support you. Um, And again, going back to, are your objectives clearly defined and easily measured? So how are you measuring impact? What are you going to do? What are your benchmarks? What are your milestones? And what does that look like? And then does the project bring added value? The added value piece is what's going to catch the funder's attention. So that's your added value is what sets you aside from everyone else. That's what makes you and your organization specifically unique. And then is the goal of the project transformational in some way? You don't want to be doing what everybody else is doing. You need to be doing something that's different, something that's innovative, and something that really makes people like, hey, I want to, you know, utilize her services. Mm. And then the last question, are there opportunities to collaborate with others on a project? So can you collaborate with other nonprofit organizations or community organizations that may strengthen your grant proposal? And then it's, you know, interdisciplinary and has different pieces. So I just wanted to Mm -hmm. share that because you asked me that earlier and I didn't Address
0: it. So, oh yeah, no problem. And you know what? I'm so glad you did that because what I'm going to do. So, whoever is listening to this right now, and you're interested in nonprofit grants and things like that, I want you to go to the website, and I have a section on there that says "Ask Tiffany." And I think next time I have Dr. Shanika McIver on. I am going to have it as like a QA and a session for you all. So please go up there and submit your question. So that way we know what concerns you and we can get you some, some sound advice from an expert in the industry, an expert in the field. Um, and that way you can get, push past some of these blockages that you have, you know? Um, So thank you so much again. (laughs) Like you keep dropping gems. (laughs) So hopefully, um, you know, people caught something from this episode, even if you didn't have a nonprofit, you know, hopefully you caught some type of gem that you can um, implement in whatever it is that you're doing. So thank you so much. And it was a pleasure speaking with you. Um, I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. Thank you for listening to the Money Talk with Tiff podcast. For free resources and materials, head over to MoneytalkwithT.com. And while you're there, why not sign up for our newsletter so you'll never miss an episode. Talk to you soon.